0: Before we open God's word, let's have a prayer. Dear Father, this hour, this hour has come. The hour in which thou canst be glorified in us, dear Father. As we hear thy word, as we receive it, as we believe it, and as we do it, Dear Father, we're so thankful for this hour, this time that we have where many have been gathered from near and from far and thou hast protected each one, dear Father. And here we are to spend a week together, to fellowship, to pray, to read thy word, to encourage one another, dear Father, to be admonished all through the working of thy Holy Spirit. This is an amazing thing. It's something that we look back and realize how long this has been going on and we count ourselves blessed, dear Father. But we, we realize that there is a responsibility that comes from this blessing, this rich heritage we have. The time that we spend here this week, there is a responsibility that comes from it. Dear Father, help us. We're weak and we're frail, but we look to Thee to empower us. We pray this in the name of Thy perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. For this evening's uh, meditation, I'd like to first read one verse from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and then several verses from John 20. So that's John chapter 17, verse 18. This is Christ's high priestly prayer. This is the, his final prayer with his disciples. Um, words almost fail me to de- describe the, um, all that is contained in this prayer, uh, the riches in it. But I just want to highlight this particular verse. And it's verse 18. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And then over to John 20. Now, this is after the crucifixion and Jesus' resurrection and his first appearance to his disciples in verse 19 through to 23. Then the same day, this is the same day that Jesus resurrected, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So the two passages that we've read are from two singular moments in Jesus Christ's life. And every moment was unique and special. All that we have recorded here, and I'm sure all the things that were not recorded, too. Jesus is unique in so many ways, as, as we well know. But these particular moments are a culmination, maybe, a focal point when you look at the, the, the amount of, of Scripture and the, and the Gospels apportioned to the final weeks, the final moments of Jesus' life you realize that the weight, the, the importance, the focus of all of Jesus' ministry is trending and focusing towards these points, the point before leading up to his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And the, the portion we read from John 17, uh, it's, I, I don't know if, if you've ever had a chance to, to speak with someone uh, um, when they're close to death. Maybe on a deathbed, or uh, they know that they're going to be dying shortly. Uh, just the weight of that, the, the solemnity of it, the importance of it, this person knows they're going to shortly leave the earth, and there's no time anymore for um, pretense or anything like that. Uh, everything is laid clear. There's a genuineness about the, those final moments. Maybe... Maybe if there is uh, some time together in prayer uh, before someone leaves the earth, those prayers are are especially memorable. I remember hearing stories of others that uh, have gone on and and final prayers that they've had with their loved ones close beside them, those that they care deeply about. And and all their desires and and, um, uh, their hopes for those they're leaving behind are are laid out. That's what we have in in chapter 17. We have a, a final prayer of Jesus communing with his Father in heaven and laying out his desires, his deepest desires, his heart's desires for his disciples. An extension explicitly prayed for in this prayer is us, those of us that are sitting in this room that believe on Jesus. So something very special about that passage. And this other passage that we read from in John uh, 20 is the final um, or it's the first words actually that Jesus spoke to his disciples as a whole as a group after he was resurrected and he doesn't say a whole lot but the things that he says have um, great import first he says unto them peace be unto you and he knows exactly the heart and the mind of his disciples he knows where they are at this moment They've, <laughs> literally the doors are locked they're in a, in a room, they're afraid um, they're fearing what the authorities are going to do and in a special way that shows um, the power of his resurrected body, he appears to them. It seems to be through these locked doors. And the first thing he says to them, speaks to them where they are. He says, peace be unto you. And then he shows them his, his hands and his sides, the basis of that Peace. You can be assured all of your betrayal, your, your, your cowardice, your running away, your, your outright denial of me that I know about, that I actually foretold you about, I know all of that, and I've dealt with it all. Peace be unto you. And then he's, the, the next things he says are of equal import. Peace be unto you. He says it twice. As my Father hath sent me, even so, send I you. He's trying to tell his disciples something very special and very important. It's not sufficient just for them to have peace, to know that everything's right again with with Jesus. That he's forgiven them. He's dealt ev- with everything. He's dealt with uh, all of the sin that's happened in the past. Jesus immediately goes to his vision for them for the future. And what is that vision? What is the message? As I, as the Father hath sent me so send I you. This doesn't simply mean the fact, you know, on a, on a basic level, we all understand Jesus was sent from God and we are being sent now uh, in the same way. We understand it on, on a basic level. But I think this has a, a far greater meaning and a far greater um, pattern, uh, exemplar, uh, a far greater uh, Instruction, really than just that surface reading while we're sent Jesus was sent and, and, and the disciples are also sent as the father has sent me in the same way that the father has sent me so send I you how was Jesus sent in what manner was he sent I think if we look at his life we could gather so much and that's actually what we're called to do we're called to look at Jesus and in beholding him and looking at him and believing on him we're changed we're changed from glory to glory as we behold him and I think as we understand the way that he was sent and the manner in which he was sent then that can reflect back on our lives so we can start to see things a little bit clearer about how each one of us is called to go each one of us is called to be sent in the same way the first thing that I notice about the way in which Jesus was sent is that he is willing. He was willing to go. Um, Hebrews 10. The passage where the writer of Hebrews quotes uh, uh, an Old Testament um, Psalm, I believe. And he talks about sacrifices and offering and burnt offering that wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein. The idea that, that none of these things could deal with sin. None of these things could, could solve the final problem of man and the current situation that everyone without Christ finds themselves in. Sacrifice and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst thou pleasure therein, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Christ was willing. He said, Here I am. I'm willing. That's the first thing for each one of us. If we're going to be sent, if we're going to go, we have to be willing. There has to be an active decision to go on a daily basis. Not as a one-time thing. Not as a. um, Though, obviously, big decisions are made that change the course of our lives different ways. But on a daily basis, we have to actively and willingly choose. I will go. I will go in in the name of the Savior. I will go in the same way that He went. I will go. I will. I will be sent in the same way that He was sent. Romans ten. The who? How will they hear unless someone goes? Who is willing? Are you willing? The second thing I see about Jesus and how he was sent is that he willingly gave everything up. Philippians 2, that passage which which beautifully describes Christ as thinking it not robbery to be equal with God. That he was equal with God. From all eternity past he had such a close reunion, all the rich, uh, all union, all the, the riches, all the, the the delight that is in that Godhead. And yet he actually laid that aside took on him the form of a servant, came and humbled himself, became a man, and was obedient even unto death, death on the cross. So he gave everything up. In Philippians 2. That's Christ, and you may think that's that's a tall order. And you may think, well, I'm so thankful he did that that I don't have to do that that I don't have to to suffer to the extent that he suffered. The truth of the gospel and the truth of the gospel that we dare not hide or gloss over or um, diminish in any way is that he is calling his followers to the same path. He's calling us to the same thing. We can't sugarcoat that. Christ did not sugarcoat that. Luke 14 And there were great multitudes with him, in verse 25. So I imagine a huge crowd of people following him, interested, what is this man going to do? He's done some amazing things. He's uh, done some just mind-blowing miracles. That, um, and he says some things that are really true and they cut to the heart. A lot of interest from people. There went great multitudes with him and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and brother wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words. You have to read it twice. Yeah, he actually says hate. And we can't sugarcoat that. We have to understand that in the light of the whole world a word that 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 Christ gave. And that this does not mean that we um, disregard family relations and that we uh, count our uh, flesh and blood as of no account. But what it does mean is that we need to love God above everything else and be willing to give up everything to follow him. That's what he asks of everyone who follows him, everyone who believes in the name of Jesus. There's no um, second class of believer or kind of half-believer or someone who will just scoot into heaven on, well, I believed in the right things but I wasn't really willing to give up everything. That same passage he goes on he talks about counting the cost. Actually looking and, and evaluating my life. Am I willing to give this up if the Lord asks it of me? Am I willing to give it up if he calls me to go? Each believer needs to take that into account. As I look in the the beautiful face of my little baby, I need to take that into account. Abraham had to take that into account. He had to go to the point of being willing to sacrifice his own son because he believed God and he knew that was the ultimate thing. And, and, and in believing and in trusting God, everything would be given to him. He believed that God was able to raise his son up from the dead. So in the, the path of the gospel... In the path of following Jesus Christ, I have to be willing to give everything up. Nothing less is worthy of him and nothing less will allow me to accept the true grace that comes from Jesus. This is not a gospel of works. It's not a a matter of you just have to want it enough and, and, and you don't want it enough. This is a transformation that happens as you believe in Jesus Christ and as he shows his beauty and his glory to you as you as you see that more and more you start to realize this is the most precious thing this is the most precious person in the whole world and i cannot have anything and anyone else in front of him if i have him above all everything else will follow so jesus gave everything up have you counted the cost are you willing to give everything up Jesus, in the manner in which he was sent, he was completely obedient to the Father. He did always those things that pleased his Father, completely. And because of that, that perfect communion he had, the Father never left him. His, My Father and I are one. He was always with him. And as he said those things, John 8, people believed him. They saw that example. They saw this is true. What this man says is true. He is not He's not a charlatan. He's not saying something false. He was completely obedient to, to God. Am I willing to be completely obedient to God in going and being sent? You know, we, this passage that, that the theme is taken from uh, in Matthew 28 the preface that Jesus gives. The, the first thing he says is, "All power and authority. All power is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore." So that's the the prelude. That's the, the 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 statement that 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 leads this statement. All power and authority. Now you go out into the world, into a world that does not believe or acknowledge the power and authority of of Jesus Christ. That doesn't um, maybe even believe that it exists. Doesn't. Um, see his power at work how are they going to know that his power and authority are at work are are real that that he has been given all power and authority the only way that they will really see that is in you is if you are submitted to his power and authority is if you are doing things that are unexplainable other than by the fact that you believe and, and obey him completely and that you believe he has all power and authority things like loving your enemies things like doing good to them that do horrible things to you, speaking the truth no matter the personal consequences to yourself, things that just are not explainable only by the fact that you believe in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the way the world is going to see. That's the way that he's decided to do it. He hasn't decided to to send the message out in, in a great show of force. He could do that. He's decided to do it through you and me and your and my willingness to submit to that power and that authority over everything that's the way jesus was sent completely obedient are you willing the last thing is is that i notice about the manner in which jesus was sent is with joy great joy i have a sense of jesus um The song says that he's a man of sorrows and definitely there was a weight and a sorrow to him, but I also have a sense of such joy and joy in purpose and joy in the future, joy looking at Hebrews 12, that joy that was set before him. As he looked to this room full of people here now in 2019, his joy as he sees those souls here in these benches that truly receive that word and are changed by it. That's the joy that I need to have in in being sent and going. Not a guilt trip, not a, well, I ought to be doing more. I feel kind of ashamed. Yes, we need to confess. We need to repent of our weakness and frailties, but we need to see the joy that is set before us, the joy of souls that can be touched and changed, and that should be the joy that satisfies the most, the joy as we see more souls coming to him. So all these things, the manner in which he was sent, that he was, he was willing to go, that he, he gave everything up, that he was obedient unto the death of the cross, that he had the, that joy set before him, all these things made um, Jesus' teaching, not just teaching. It wasn't just a matter of you preached a sermon, that's it, that was good, I've given you the word of God, and he went away. He allowed, these things allowed him to manifest the nature of God, to completely show the nature of God, all that we need to know and understand about God in himself, And that is also the way in which we need to go out to the world, the way we need to be sent. We need to manifest the nature of God. It's not enough for me to preach a sermon, shout at people, and then walk away. Jesus' life was an open book. It was a life of discipleship. So I think... Now I've, I've just given you a list of things, so though Jesus was sent in this way, and we all need to um, go in the same way, and we all kind of maybe if we're really diligent, we wrote them down, or, or maybe we're going to think about them a little bit in the future. But that's, that's just not enough in the sense of motivation, I think, in some sense, that we, we look at Jesus, we see this perfect example, and um, we uh, think, yes, we need to do all those things. We need to, to be the same way. This has so much more to do about God and our relationship with Him. How much do you really want God? How much do you really want to experience Him? You will only experience Him in a real, meaningful, life-altering way by following Him. That's the real truth of the gospel. I love these moments at camp. I love, I've had so many special times in this room um, where my heart has been touched and um, I've been, things have been revealed to me through the Holy Spirit about my life and about um, what God needs to change and how much He loves me and uh, special moments. But if that was the totality of the gospel, it would just be some sort of really a fleeting emotional experience. It is so much more than that. The purpose of a week like this the purpose of being called away, a, a part uh, of really um, digging into God's word is to draw closer to him throughout the whole, all the rest of the time that, that we have here on this earth. It's to be uh, pulled to a closer relationship to him on a daily basis when the motions are gone, when the, those moments of, of quiet and reflection are not there, when the needs are racing, are coming in on every side when I'm, I'm feeling cranky and tired and um, people are difficult to deal with. That's what God wants to change. That's how he wants to change me in those moments of real transformation, of a heart that becomes more and more like Jesus, that in those moments can turn to the Father and say, Father, help. Father, I love you so much. Give me grace in this moment, in this hour in those unemotional moments. That's what the gospel is about. It's about changing your life in a real meaningful way. It's not just about having an emotional experience. Though these moments are special and they're precious and they are conviction. So that is the question, is how much do you want God on a daily basis? Are you willing to follow? Because really this question actually is the determination of your future existence in all eternity do you realize heaven and hell are just heaven is those people that desire to be with god and hell is those people that don't desire to be with god that's really what it is that's the end destination do you want god or do you not want god it all comes down to the person of jesus christ how much you want him want to experience him have the fellowship of his sufferings and then to experience the the joy that comes with communion with him so that's what god is calling us through if you look through the gospels if you look through different the beatitudes that 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 leading up to blessed are the persecuted those that are suffer for righteousness sake if you read matthew 10 those instructions of the disciples that are going out it's all leading up to that this communion this closeness with christ is a willingness to uh, obey to to follow to experience this that suffering and as i say that i realize i have a very comfortable life i have a beautiful family i have a, a good job i have a house to live in and uh we have food to put on the table, we can go places and enjoy nice things. And I realized that God is calling me to love him through all of those things and if all of those things go. Not to hang on them, not to put my priority on them, not to allot all of my money towards them, but to really lay my, down in, my life down in service to him and money is often a good indicator of that. So, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's the go part of this theme. Go. Go in the manner of Jesus. I'd like to focus a little bit on the ye part, on the, the you. And it seems to be, a, on a first reading, maybe a, a singular kind of, just between God and you. God says to you, go, and then you better go. But it's really a, p- a plural, ye, this is, a, the Old English is a, is a plural, you. It's God speaking to all, to everyone, and he's speaking to all of us collectively. Growing up, um, sometimes I got the impression and um, the false impression, I, I really believe it, is when I look at God's word, that there is some sort of tension between the church and missions, between this body of believers here and our uh, the, the, the close fellowship he's given us and people going out to spread that. And that is not Christ's vision for us. It really isn't. Go back to John 17, that beautiful high priestly prayer. Uh, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through the, their word. Okay, that's us. Clear black and white that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That makes things clear. The church and missions are one. They ought to be one. It is the mission of the church through the love and the unity that we have in Christ to display his awesome truth his manifold wisdom to, to a watching world to, to heavenly realms they are one there is no tension there ought to be no tension there ought to be no pointing of fingers between those that are sent further and, and uh, are not um, feeling maybe that support which is a real problem or those at home thinking those that are sent they're not uh, aligned with us or there's uh, where is the, the connection there needs to be an outworking of unity in the body, through the sending out of those that go far, far places, near or far, and we can do this through His Spirit. He's given us that ability through His Spirit, that Spirit that He breathed on His disciples, that He that empowered them to to go in the same way that He was sent. So I think we need to take a step back from that and, and to realize where does God? How does God want to work with us in a way to display? The unity and the love and, the, and the, 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 the truth that we have in a real reaching out to others. I think he's calling us to that. You know, actually it is within this body of believers that we learn those things about being sent, that we learn about love and giving up and forbearance and... Um, preferring others above ourselves. You know, the test is, if if we can't do that, if I cannot do that with another person who professes Christ, how will I be able to do that in a world that does not profess Christ? How will I be able to, to show Christ's love if I cannot do that within a group of believers? I think God is calling us to a perfect love and through that perfect love with each other to be sent out and share that love to others. There's no tension. There ought to be no tension between the two. I guess lastly, I'd like to maybe make this, um, give you an example Uh, that's maybe a little bit closer to home, (laughs) maybe 300 years closer to home, so not that close to home. I'm, I'm not very current, I guess, in a lot of ways, but... I want to give you an example of of someone who understood that perfect unity who understood that he needed to be sent in the same way that god was that christ was sent and that the unity of the body that togetherness is a foundation for going out to the world and that was a man um actually we do have a, a, a passing um knowledge of him in the, the zion's harp he wrote him number 33 in the zion's harp uh, heart to heart united closely beautiful hymn take some time to read through it and see his understanding um, through the spirit of of the unity of the body. This man was uh, Count Zinzendorf and he lived in the 1700s, uh, 1700 to 1760, something like that. And a beautiful statement from him, he said, missions after all are simply this, is simply this. Every heart with Christ is a missionary. Every heart without Christ is a mission field. I think that's a clear black and white statement. Each one of us who believe in Christ and trust in him are missionaries. Each one who does not is the mission field. And it is, the mission field is the heart. That's where these things happen. He understood this. And this man was extremely wealthy. He was a a count. Uh, He had a lot of land in those times. Uh, That was the source of wealth. And at age 19, he took that... um, that tour of Europe that all the rich people take that to uh, educate them and polish them off a bit give them a, a knowledge of the world and all that and on that tour at age 19 he saw a picture in a museum a, a painting of Christ hanging on the cross and below that picture was the words all this have I done for you what have you done for me that moment in front of that picture crystallized things for him. From that moment, from that transformational moment, sprang um, an amazing group of believers. If you read it, take the time to to read something about the Moravians, actually. It's a a group of believers from uh, starting in, actually had earlier roots, the 1400s, but his particular story was that he had some land, a large amount of land, and he uh, wanted to um, actually, set up a colony of people that were willing to come. So, people that were persecuted, religious minorities, they came. There was about, at one point, about three hundred of them, kind of the starting of this, on that land. And as sadly we also well know, too, tensions arose, conflict. There was disagreement among this group of of believers. And this Count Zinzendorf saw clearly the Christ's vision in in. John 17, and he actually said, he just he, he got them all. I don't think it was in a room, but he went around from from family to family, from person to person, with an agreement, and said, if you can't agree to these things, if you can't agree to be united, if you can't agree that we're going to work together, leave my property. It was a pretty pretty uh, bold way of doing things, but it worked actually. From this group of 300 people, over the course of the next 30 years, they grew but they sent out over 226 missionaries to 10 countries. This is before the moderns mission movement. This is before uh, uh, the the, the more 1800s focus on on missions. This was just a group of believers that loved the Lord, that covenanted together in prayer, experienced a revival, and from that it it led them clearly to to sending out ones and twos uh, and amazing stories stories of of missionaries that sold themselves into slavery in order to reach the slaves. Can you imagine that? That's what Christ did. That's following Christ. As he was sent, so send I you. They spread far and wide. Georgia, Pennsylvania, uh, the West Indies, northern Canada, and they did it on a shoestring budget. They only had enough money from the group of believers there to get them to their port of departure, enough money to get them on a ship, and that was it. And they went. And it was a, a coveted thing. It wasn't a, well, who's going to go? Uh, mm, mm. It was there was a, a desire to go and actually a pretty rigorous stru- screening process of those that, uh, uh, that they went through questionnaires and, and, and it wasn't just a, well, yeah. I'd like to go, sure, that's great. There was an investment on the part of this body of believers because they realized this was a work of the church. This was a, uh, uh, a group of believers together expressing and, and, and um, living out this vision in, in John chapter 17. So, why do I say all that? I say it as a matter of encouragement. It is the Holy Spirit that does this work in us as he binds us together and as he sends out, as the seed is sown farther and wider, that we, as we go all together and as particular individuals are sent further out and as we do it as the body of Christ, as as all of us together go ye. Back to that final, that deathbed moment when everything is clear I'd like to read this Zinzendorf's final parting words in closing here I am going to my Savior I am ready there is nothing to hinder me now I cannot say how much I love you all who would have believed that the prayer of Christ that they all may be one could have been so strikingly fulfilled among us I only asked for first fruits among the heathen and thousands have been given me Are we not as in heaven? Do we not live together like the angels? The Lord and his servants understand each other. I am ready. My prayer is that the Lord would make each one of us ready in that same way through a life of following him.
1: Let's rise for prayer. Heavenly Father, what shall we say? What can we bring? What can we do? The Apostle Paul said, even if we have done all, we should be counted on profitable servants. We have, only been, we have only done what we have been told to do. We've heard tonight, Heavenly Father, of the great sacrifice that Thou hast made. How Thou hast laid aside Thy crown, Thy glory, Thy power to become like one of us and to stoop to be a helpless babe in a manger from there, to live among us, to walk among us, to hear our cursing, to see our deceitfulness, our lies, our bitterness, to see how man, created in the very image of God, treated his fellow man, and finally, to feel that hatred poured on him. Surely, if anyone ever Had the right to say, What did I do to deserve this? It was thee, Lord Jesus. Help us to realize, help us to see clearly how much we have been loved. And to realize that the command to go is not an obligation, but a privilege, a blessing. But, Heavenly Father, how comforting it is to know that we have not just been told to go, but that Thou hast sent Thy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit of the living God, the mighty warrior, the one whose sword is exceedingly sharp and cuts, cuts to the very heart. He goes with us. He goes in us that we could fulfill this great commission. Help us to rediscover what the Moravians had. Help us to say with them, it was their, it was their, their, their symbol, their logo of an ox in a statement on one side, a plow, and on the other, an altar, and the slogan below it that simply said, Prepared for both. Help us to go as thou hast come to us, and forgive us where we have counted it a weight, a weariness, something to be embarrassed of, something to be ashamed of, and not have realized, and we have not realized what a privilege it is to be called by the living God to live for him. Be with us now this week, Heavenly Father. Forgive our frailty. Thou knowest our frame that we are dust. But fill us, Heavenly Father, fill us with thy spirit. Breathe on us fresh anew. But we know in order to be filled by Thee, we must first make ourselves empty. So help us to realize that we must empty self to be filled also by Thee. That Thy Spirit once again be mighty among us to the saving of souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.